Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Welcome, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Um, we have a special guest, but before I introduce our special guest, I got to introduce my co-host. Give me a shout out, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail, especially any content or what we speak about today. I think today's going to be a good day. Um, as we have, uh, again, like I said, a, a special guest, Pastor Joel Webin, and he just wrote a book called, am I truly saved? And that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Huh, Pastor Michael, am I truly saved? Michael, just give us a shout out and uh, let people know where you're serving and where they can reach you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, so my name is Michael and I'm connecting, uh, from, uh, halfway around the world. And I'm just, uh, thankful to God for technology that I get to, basically sit and listen to these two wonderful men talk today. And uh, it's just, uh, it's just great. So, um, so I pastor a small church here in the Southern tip of India, uh, Redemption Hill Church. If you want to know more about us, uh, you can visit redemptionhill.in. Um, you can email me at michaelteddy at gmail.com or our uh, church email at redemptionhill.india at gmail.com. And if ever you're traveling to India, let us know. We'd love to have you come down and spend some time with us and uh, fellowship with us. And it's just a joy to be with you on the podcast again. So, Okay. So, uh, Joel Webin, I'm uh, Pastor Joel. I want you to introduce yourself and let people know who you are. And then we'll, we'll, start, we'll, we'll start asking Joel some questions. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm honored to be here. My name is Joel. I live in Texas planted a church in San Diego, California, was there for several years. In 2020, I handed the church over. Uh, the church is still going well, uh, but I relocated my family along with seven other households that chose to come with us from the church in San Diego. We moved to uh, Georgetown, Texas. We're north of Austin, Texas, planting a new church called Covenant Bible Church. And I'm also the, uh, in addition to serving as the senior pastor there, I am um, the president of Right Response Ministries. Joel has uh, promised to spend about an, uh, two, two sessions with us, you know, close to an hour. But we want to make sure that we get this in the show notes, Joel. So we want to make sure that people uh, know where to get this book. So I'm going to get right. So and we'll get that done for sure before we sign off on, on, on these shows. But so one of the things I was I, I want to ask, and I, this is really for me. So let me get let me give you a little background to this question. I did prison time. I was in prison. And one of the guys that used to come and teach me in prison was a guy named Jay Fisher. He told me I could mention his name and stuff. Right. So I'm, I'm yesterday. I, I'm talking to him on the phone. Right. I'm walking around in the chapel, you know, in the sanctuary. And I'm just stretching my legs a little bit. And so without even telling him, Joel, listen to this about anything about first John or I'm doing something with, you know, Joel Webber on the radio. And he tells me, you know, Dominic, man, I struggle with First John. When I read First John, he says, "Man, I don't even know if I'm a Christian." You know, um, you know, as far as measuring 
you know, he using it for a measuring rod. And I says, listen, you need to listen to the guy we have on tomorrow, you know, Pastor Joel and, you know, how he looks at first John. And, and I, I want to be careful here. Joel is not a minimalist by no way. I mean, he's not, believe me. I, I, and I want to be careful how I frame this question. But obviously, there's got to be growth. If somebody's a true Christian, there's growth. But there's also assurance. So in that dichotomy of growth and assurance, how do you, you know, uh, that's a fair question, Joel. I mean, it's not every box we're going to check. I'm thinking about the parable of Soa, you know, who, bring, you know, 20 and 120 and 60. And I want you to expound on the dichotomy, maybe, or the how you line up the assurance and and there's got to be growth, but there's assurance in, in those things. I think that would be important to the to the audience. Great. Uh, great question, Dominique. So uh, first and real quick, practical in terms of getting the book, if you want to grab a book um, right now, it's exclusively offered only on our website. So go to rightresponseministries.com, rightresponseministries.com. And uh, you can go to our store or you can just go to our donate page. And so I want to make sure your listeners know this. Um, if you go to our donate page, you can get a free digital copy of the book for um, any a gift of any amount. And the minimum amount is one dollar. So if you uh, are tight, uh, thanks to not Putin, but uh, Biden's inflation, <laughs> uh, we got we to gotta give credit where credit is due. <laughs> yeah, um, but exactly. if you're you know, if money is tight and if you're strapped for cash, I get it. Um, so I, I don't want anybody to miss the opportunity to get the book. Uh, we will not be offended in the slightest. I, I not only give you permission, but I encourage you uh, just give one dollar and get a digital copy of the book. If you want a physical copy, uh, it costs you know a little bit more for the printing and the shipping and things like that. But if you just want to get the content, one dollar, you can do that. Rightresponseministries.com. All right. So that being said, uh, great question, Dominique. Uh, so basically, that's that's kind of, it's like two pedals on a bicycle. Um, and, and the two pedals are, you know, what you said, growth and assurance. And, and you know, uh, with growth, you know, we, we just theologically call that sanctification. So it's sanctification and it's assurance of salvation. When we speak of assurance, uh, really what we're getting at is uh, certainty in regards to justification. So really it's, it's justification and sanctification. Uh, working in tandem, working together, um, but but not just justification, because specifically what we're talking about is certainty regarding justification. So if you look at the Gospel of John, right, First John and the Gospel of John is written by the same John. There's a few few different Johns in the Bible, but this is the same John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And in the Gospel of John, one of the things that we find near the end of, of the book is that he says, you know, if everything that Jesus did was recorded and written down, you know, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. But these things have been written so that you might believe. And so he gives not at the beginning, but at the end of uh, his gospel, the gospel of John, he gives the primary purpose for writing that gospel account of the life and ministry and work and teaching of Jesus. And, and he says very simply that, that the primary aim of his gospel is that people might believe and that they might believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah sent from God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he, he tells us that that's his purpose. He wants people to believe in Jesus. Um, in first John, he gives us, he has kind of that, that similar statement, a, a, a primary purpose statement in uh, his first epistle, um, first John. And he, it basically, um, it's really, 
really interesting uh, because it's very similar, but it differs in one important regard. He says, I write these things so that you might know that you believe um, and, and know that you have eternal life, um, life in his name. And so, uh, so the gospel of John is, I write these things so that you might believe. Um, first John, I write these things that you might know that you believe. So both of these things are dealing with justification. The only difference is uh, the gospel of John is so that you might be justified by believing, right? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So I write these things so that you might be justified through belief, through faith. Um, and first John is I write these things so that you who are already justified, but struggling and wrestling with doubt about your justification, about your salvation, I write these things so that you might be assured that you believe, so that you would be assured in justification. So the, the parallel, these two pedals on a bicycle working together of sanctification and assurance is, you know, growth and assurance is really sanctification and justification, but particularly um, certainty about justification. And the argument that I make in the book is that um, that sanctification is one of the leading the leading sources for assurance. It's one of the primary sources that John points to again and again in his epistle, his first epistle, um, for being assured, for having certainty about your justification, knowing that you believe. So, so one of the biggest things that you can look to as a source of assurance is your sanctification, your growth, meaning, meaning that you can look at your life and say, I've grown in this area, I've grown in this area, I've become more like Christ in this way and in that way. And, and because, because of this sanctification, that serves as a source for assurance of justification. The way I say it in the book is this, um, we're not saved by Christ's work through us. We are saved by Christ's work for us. Right? His substitutionary atonement on the cross. So it's not what Christ is doing through us, although if we're Christians, he is doing something in and through us. But, but we're saved. What justifies us, we have to keep sanctification and justification distinct. We have to have that distinction. What saves us, what justifies us is, is not faith in what Jesus is doing through us, but faith in what Jesus has already finished, his finished work for us. So the statement that I make is this, that, um, Although we're saved by what Christ has done for us alone, um, Christ's work through us helps us to know that Christ's work for us really was for us. Because the problem that, that I've wrestled, I wrestled with, with assurance of salvation for about seven to nine years, long wow. time. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, same kind of thing. A lot of the Puritans, because they had such a high view of the holiness of God and the importance of sanctification, uh, they often were left with this sense of this this um, uh, this unhealthy overemphasis on on personal introspection that left them in a place where they were thinking, "Well, I don't know if I make the cut." And so, a lot of these Puritan guys, before they really got a hold of grace, uh, salvation being by grace alone, uh, they really wrestled with assurance. And I was similar because I, you know, I preach the holiness of God. I, I don't do watered down preaching, easy believism. And so, um, so I would wrestle, you know, like I talk to guys all the time. They're like, you know, one of my favorite preachers is Paul Washer, you know, and I, and I love the way that he preaches and it's thoroughly biblical, but a lot of times, you know, afterwards, I think you know, maybe I'm going to hell, you know? And, and so, so my point is, 
you know, if, if you're going to be biblical and if you're going to immerse yourself in the Puritans, if you're going to immerse yourself in guys like Charles Spurgeon and Calvin and, you know, and, and modern day guys who preach about the, the seriousness of God's holiness and the importance of sanctification, one of the, um, one of the unfortunate side effects of that preaching that is biblical and faithful, we need that preaching, but one of the unfortunate side effects is at times a lack of assurance. And so my, my point is this, I, I along with many others, and, and maybe your listeners are in this camp, my, my problem with belief was not, it's not that I didn't believe that God existed. It's not that I didn't believe in a God. It's not that I didn't believe in the triune God, the God of the Bible, creator of heaven and earth. Um, it's not that I did not believe that, that God has a son, that his name is Jesus, that he was sent to earth, that he lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross, uh, that he bodily rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high with power and authority. I believed all these things. I believe that there is a God in heaven, that he sent his son to die for sin. But I believed that, uh, that, that Jesus did this for someone somewhere out there. Uh, but, but for me, the, the, the link with assurance was, but how do I know he died for me? How do I know he died for me? So I wasn't wrestling so much with the existence of God or the existence of the triune Christian God yeah. or the work of Christ. But I was struggling with, but how do I know that he did it for me? How do I know that I'm included? And what I've realized is that reformed guys, um, you know, a lot of times will say, well, you know, perseverance of the saints, you know, we persevere to the end and we persevere to the end because God preserves us to the end and it's all grace. And, and we pretend sometimes like that solves the problem of assurance. But I think if we're more honest, we should admit that, that it, it doesn't always perfectly solve that problem because, you know, the Arminian is going to struggle with assurance in the sense of um, how do I know I'm not going to lose my salvation or I haven't already lost my salvation. And the Calvinist boasts and says, we don't have that problem, you know, with our biblical Cal. But the reality is that Calvinist still struggles. The, the question is just instead of how do I know uh, if I've lost my salvation, the Calvinist just wrestles on the other end of the equation. How do I know if I ever had it? How do I know if I ever had it? Great you know, point. because I'm doing these things, I'm still struggling with this sin. And so my, my point again is, Christ's work through us is not what saves us, uh, but Christ's work in and through us, aka growth, sanctification, bearing good fruit, um, um, conforming us more into his image. Christ's work uh, through and in us does not save us, but Christ's work through and in us gives us confidence that Christ's work for us actually was for us. And so sanctification is a leading proof, primary proof of justification and therefore gives us assurance of justification. However, here's the catch. And this is where it can become this, this, um, this bitter cycle. Um, but the catch is sanctification grants assurance, but without any assurance, there can be no sanctification, right? This is the idea of indicatives and imperatives, yeah, indicatives yeah, being, you know, motivations, what motivates us, to follow Jesus and to grow in faith and, and imperatives being commandments, the things that God commands us to do. And the reality is that, that God gives us his law. He gives us his, his commandments. Um, and that serves the law of God. His, his imperatives is like a rudder on a ship. It directs us which way we should go. 
But the gospel, the indicatives, the, the incentives, the motive is the gospel, the grace of God. And that's like the wind in our sails, right? So the law of God is like the rudder and the gospel of God is like the wind in our sails. And the reality is without any gospel, and it's not enough to believe the gospel in theory, you have to believe it's for you. Galatians chapter three, Paul says, I am convinced that God, uh, that Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Notice Paul's confession that he's making there is not merely a biblical confession, the Jesus of the Bible, a, a theologically accurate view of the person and work of Christ. It's not just a biblical confession. It's a personal confession. You will not have assurance by merely believing what the Bible says about Jesus. In addition to that, you have to believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is for you personally. So it has to be both a biblical and personal um, belief about justification, Christ's work for you. And that's the wind and the sails that, that, that will lead you in sanctification. And then the bitter cycle breaks and becomes a beautiful cycle where, where all of a sudden um, assurance is leading to sanctification and sanctification is granting further assurance. So the more we're assured by that the gospel is for us, the more incentive, the more motive, the more fuel we have in our tank to obey. And the more we obey, seeing Christ work in and through us, the more we are confident um, that, that Christ's work in and through us is, in fact, an evidence, a proof that Christ's work for us actually was for us. Yeah, praise the Lord. And I want to I want to uh, turn it over to Michael for uh, for a question. But, you know, I was just reading, you know, Whitfield all and I didn't know this. Whitfield struggled with that same stuff, too, which you were talking. About. I just read it this morning. I have a devotional that, you know, a historical devotional. And Whitfield, and I knew, you know, I knew Luther went through that, obviously, but Whitfield was went through that same struggle that you're talking about until he got that aha moment and couldn't wait to share it with. I guess they had a group with Wesley. I was reading about this 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 morning and they got this. They actually I hate I don't want to use I don't want to be subjective and use the word epiphany because I do got a, a question about subjective and objective later. But but um, but Whitfield got the same illumination that 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 I think you're expounding. So praise the Lord, uh, Mike. Okay, so Michael, we're at 18. We got about in this segment. We have about um, about seven or eight minutes. So I'm going to turn it over to Michael. Uh, he's got a question for Joel, and then Joel will close that out. And then Joel, you'll come back for another segment. Is that okay? Yeah. So Michael. Yeah, awesome. I don't know if you brothers have seen the the famous meme of because we mentioned Paul Washer, where you know he's preaching and there's this you know intense face of Paul Washer, and there was this meme which said that you know if you've if you've uh, trouble fighting temptations, then just stick this on your fridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there, there's something about about that. Uh, that man that makes you want to repent hey, just hey, by Michael, one second. start hey, a Joe, sermon. <laughs> Mike, Michael, one second, Joe, you'll like this. My wife tells me, she goes, every time I need a kick in the pants, I listen to Paul Washington. What about your husband? What the heck, man? Go yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael, yeah. Yeah, I just mentioned that because we went to Paul Washington. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I just, just as, you know, hearing uh, the question Pastor Dom asked and just the response that Joel gave. Um, and I, I just want to stick a little more with with what we have been talking about. And, um, you know, when you were talking about making the cut, um, you know, so to speak, um, 
or one of the things that you know that I was even while I was reading the book, you know, where you mentioned that authentic faith in Christ requires accurate biblical knowledge, um, you know, and amen. And you know, in my own context, so India, we can say that India is probably um, you know more than a decade behind the states. Right. We are we are so many years behind. And so what we have here is the predominant health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, all sorts of uh, bad theology here. And um, there is a reformed resurgence that that seems to be rising now. There's a lot of reformed churches across India uh, that are coming together. And so God is working. But one of the things that always, again, keeps coming back is is on that subject of uh authentic faith and accurate biblical knowledge. And even when you're talking about personal and biblical uh, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just, you know, even the use of the words that I tend to use in my sermons is uh, the importance of accuracy, but the importance of being genuine, right? Accurate, not just in the sense of, you know, ticking the doctrinal check boxes, but, accuracy in that sense that they are transformative it's it's actually something you believe in you know it's not just something that that you know and so uh, so the question that i have is even when we deal with people on the ground it always comes back to that where when we say that authentic christian you know faith requires accurate biblical knowledge how much of accurate biblical knowledge. And the reason I'm asking that is because we're just in that phase of reform resurgence. So we've got a lot of reform people that have a high standard of accuracy, which I don't quite find in scripture, right? I know that when we go to the thief on the cross, we're looking at an exceptional situation that's happening there. But, you know, what is when we say accurate biblical knowledge what are we talking about and how much should how much are we talking about when we talk about that hey joel can you yeah. answer that in five minutes and if not we can come is sure. five minutes okay on that one sure okay good yeah uh, that's a great question um so when, when we talk about the gospel it's all about jesus the gospel is not your testimony your testimony deals with uh what jesus has done for uh, you know in and through you but what we're talking about um, your testimony is about your life because of Jesus, your life as the effect or the fruit of Jesus. But the gospel is, it's a pronouncement of not your life, but uh, Jesus, his life. And so, um, and it's not just his life, his ministry, but um, it's also his person. So we, we, we boil, you know, the gospel is all about Jesus and we boil it, boil it down to two primary things, the person and work of Jesus. And so in terms of what is absolutely necessary uh, for a person to believe about Jesus. So, so what we're getting into is knowledge. The reformers said that there are three primary components of faith. Faith consists of knowledge, assent, and trust, implicit personal trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Assent is simply agreement. So I have knowledge, for instance, of uh, false doctrines. I have knowledge of Arianism, Docetism. I have knowledge of the Nestorian uh, heresy, Eutychian heresy. Um, so I have knowledge of things that are not true, but I don't give them my assent, and I certainly don't give them my trust. I don't agree with them, right? And so what we're saying with with faith, the components of faith is knowledge, um, and then 
and then assent that you actually, it's not just something you know, but you agree with what you know, you agree that it is true, uh, but then also trust, which is exemplified always, it's, it's evidenced by, um, by action. Right. So, you know, that they, you know, guys always use the analogy of a chair, like, okay, you can, you can say, I know that's a chair. I agree that it's a chair. Um, but are you willing to sit in the chair, trusting that it will, um, hold up your weight? So what do we need to, so we're talking about the first component. No, right. The, the, I, I always say it like this, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. We've divorced this. I think in modern evangelicalism, the heart and the mind as though they are completely separate, completely severed from one another. And that's really a, a Gnostic heresy kind of idea. This I have this mystical affection and love for God, um, you know, that, that is somehow completely separate from my mind and knowing God. But, but the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us, Matthew 22, 37, is that we would love God with everything. And it's not a buffet where we pick and choose. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and elsewhere he adds strength so strength like body it's so it's it's heart affections um it's it's soul um it's um it's uh it's uh body strength but it's also mind and we don't get to pick and choose i'm a mind guy okay i'm a mind guy who loves god with my intellect i'm a heart guy who loves god with my affection no jesus is saying um each individual needs to love god with everything so the you, you can't love god with your heart without knowing god with your mind so what do we need to know about god well we need to know the person and the work of jesus when we speak of his person we need to know that jesus is god that he is the son of god that he is the second member of the trinity he's the son of god and that he is fully god and that when he took on flesh he did not take on flesh as a substitute for his divinity but he added the, the second nature, the human nature to his divinity. So we were believing in the two natures of Christ, that he is one person, the second member of the Trinity, the son of God uh, with two natures, that he is fully God and fully man. That's the person of Jesus. The work of Jesus is that he lived a sinless life, but not only in absence of sin, but he fulfilled all righteousness, a presence of righteousness, and that he lived in our place. We always think about him dying in our place, but it's significant to know that, that Jesus died in our place when our sin was imputed to him. He died in our place, taking the wages for sin, our, what our sin deserved, namely death. So the reason why we're, we're not under condemnation is because Jesus took our punishment. He paid the penalty for our sin through his death. But he didn't just die as a substitute in our place, taking our death that our sin deserved. He also lived in our place, which means that we're not just innocent, but we're clothed in his righteousness. So his death covers our sin, pays for our sin. His life imputes to us, it instills in us a, a, a presence of righteousness. So he lived a sinless and fully obedient, righteous life in our place, died a sinner's death, taking our penalty in our place, bodily rose again from the grave as a first fruits of what we believe will happen for us also through faith, that we will be raised to newness of life. And he ascended to the right hand of God, where he is King Jesus, not just Savior, meek and mild, but he is Lord and King over all, and that we one day will rule with him. Th those are the, the core components that I would say we have to know 
and not just knowledge, but assent. We need to agree that those things are true. And then through our actions, we give evidence, we give proof that we're actually trusting, that we're sitting in the chair of Christ, so to speak, trusting that he really does have the power to hold us up. Man, that was really good. And you talked that, and I got it. We got to, we got to cut off now. I got to, I got to end the segment, but what a great, what a great argumentation on, uh, on docetism, how you, because sometimes we can separate how you put the, the divine nature and the human nature of Christ perfectly where they need to be. Sometimes we all can fall into being docetists. I, I just, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that was well said. Praise the Lord. Thank you so Thank much, you. man. Amen. Um, Amen. Yes. Pastor Joel, can I get you back for one more segment? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. Uh, Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the streets in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.